0: turn to scat it's better because of you and that's a
1: fact we're in this together you and i we're in this together you and i oh,
0: that's
1: fun. yep i'm on day five saturday sunday monday tuesday wednesday so i'm on the way out i just have a little bit in my my throat now which you can hear and it's funny because listeners of the podcast will recollect that about a month ago, <laughs> I had a cold. And then <laughs> in between that time, you got a cold. Yeah, I don't, I didn't have a cold. Recollect.
0: Yeah, I didn't have a cold. I had uh, a double ear infection and sinus infection.
1: Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Big boy terms. But <laughs> you were sick. and now I was, I, absolutely. I've Got another cold, which is unfortunate because I had, um, there was a period of time where I went like five years without getting a cold and now I, now I can't go a month. So I'm not sure what that's about. Life I think it's stressful.
0: <laughs> it is. I think it's crazy just because I, I mean, just, I know so many people who are sick or who have been sick in the last month. I just think it's just kind of exploded. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, just I think we stayed away from each other so much for the last couple of years. You know, and and so when people thought they might be sick, you know, some people took the precautions and stayed home. Some people didn't, but we were required to wear masks in certain spots and not others. So I think that helped protect some things. And it's just coming to home to roost at this point where people are just sick of taking those precautions, number one. And then number two, people are tired of not doing things, so they're all out and doing whatever it is, even if they're sick. And so uh, it just kind of now all our
1: up. now our weakened immune systems aren't able to fight off the viruses right. as easily as they as they could.
0: That's exactly
1: so exactly. It. So the sicker you get coming out of the lockdown, the better adherent you were to the lockdown. And the people who aren't sick are the people <laughs> who we should be executing, because clearly. <laughs> they haven't been taking any precautions the entire time.
0: Yes, yeah, sure. Let's <clears> let's <throat> let's roll with that.
1: <laughs> Line them up and shoot them.
0: <laughs> Those guys are the ones who are taking the whole society down.
1: Yeah. Well, welcome back to You'll understand when you're younger. I am Jordan, even if I don't sound like it.
0: And I am Brian and I may sound better than last time
1: you heard me. You do sound a little bit better, but I can still hear a little something something in your nose. Yeah. Um, and we are a father and son who, even when deathly ill, enjoy scouring the corners of the internet and collecting facts and then spewing them out at each other. And that's exactly what we're going to do here. If I can keep the mucus in and the words out, then, then it'll be a good day. Uh, today hey, so we're... We... Oh, go, go ahead. ahead.
0: No, oh. I'll let you finish.
1: Today we were going to talk about microplastics, uh, really a little... Overview of plastics uh, and how how they came to be and how they affect the world at large, but focusing in on microplastics and their effect on all life forms, but especially human life. Uh, And now I'm just curious to hear what you were gonna say.
0: Well, I was gonna say before I throw out the weekly question, I actually have a a a different question for you. Last time that you were ill and we talked about viruses. You were hydrating with a beverage, an adult beverage, uh, and I think it was uh, a beer. I'm curious to see if during this round you've gone that same path or you've chosen a different path.
1: I am drinking Shiner Bock right now. <laughs>
0: so I'm... you are, you're still doing the same, the same, <laughs> the same well, approach.
1: Well, it worked so well last time, clearly. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> Why? I mean, it,
0: it kept you safe for a month.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I am halfway into a Shiner Bock right now. I might have to get up in between segments and grab another one because I need to hydrate particularly this time because it's really attacking my my vocal box, as you can
0: hear. Yeah, so it's kind of funny because I also have a, an adult beverage from Texas that I have sitting next to me. Mine, however, is a whiskey. It is a pot whiskey by Babconis uh, Distillery. So we both have the texas theme going to try to keep ourselves hydrated
1: i thought about drinking a canadian whiskey oh sure then it just seemed like too much effort to walk back upstairs now that i have stairs in my apartment (laughs) yes i know to walk back upstairs bring my cup that i put my liquor in and fill it with ice and liquor and then bring it back upstairs after i'd already gone downstairs just felt yeah. like a lot of effort. So it, I was it like, does. You
0: know what? It seems
1: like it. Yeah. There's a, bri- a beer in the fridge. Why do those <laughs> extra 10 steps? I'm sick. So, I can give myself a break.
0: So, do you have a fridge on both levels?
1: No. There's not really room for a fridge upstairs. It's... Even like a
0: dorm t- dorm cell fridge? No, not
1: really. The place is pretty much full, given even given how large it is, because I've got this, this giant armoire, which is a story oh, that I'm sure will right. Will come up someday in one of our weekly questions, but uh, yeah, I don't know. The place is There's not really any. I'm looking around. There's not really anywhere for a fridge to go. So fair enough. But the issue wasn't the fridge, because the whiskey's not in the fridge. The whiskey's sitting on the no. I was thinking more
0: more the ice or the beer.
1: Hmm. Yeah. No, I didn't. I wasn't. Didn't mind going downstairs once to get a drink. I minded going downstairs twice to get one drink. It's not gotcha. very efficient.
0: No, not at all.
1: So I went with the Shiner It's fine.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: But enough about my laziness and drunkenness. How about the weekly question?
0: <laughs> well, the weekly question is, what is the most physically painful thing you have ever experienced?
1: Okay, so I've never broken a bone. I'm kind of like Jesus. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's basically... <laughs> Aside from me getting a, a cold every every month or whatever, I'm basically Jesus because I've never broken a bone and whatever.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah.
1: But I I have gotten myself into a few like physical hijinks. The two that are one I remember hurting and one I imagine was the most painful thing I ever experienced, but I was too young to remember. Okay. Uh, and that one you will recall, Father. Yes. I was at daycare, and for some reason, I was allowed to play on a t- top a- of a table.
0: No was, one was allowing it.
1: You, I, you just did it. I was allowed to play atop a table full of glass. I mean, somebody should have been watching me. This is a daycare. They were. Yeah, they certain. watched me go up there, and they let it happen. So I, I. <laughs> I was playing with various empty glasses, which is a yes. weird thing for a child of, what was I, three years old?
0: No, no, no. you you're Two years old? Not, not even two, probably a year and a half.
1: I was a year and a half old playing atop a table with various empty glasses. And then, of course, I fell off of the table with a glass uh, in my clutches. And as I hit the ground, which I imagine also hurt because I was quite short at the time. Yep. Um the glass shattered and basically all but severed my finger. Yes. And, and cut my hand open, and then I had to have a, a surgeon kinda do some work on the hand and and close things back up. I yeah. imagine that was very painful, but I have no recollection of the event. I only have what I was told and photos of me not crying because I was a badass. <laughs> but yep. they the time that I remember doing something that hurt real bad was, I think I must have been seven or eight, I just tripped on the top step going down our stairs. And I fell oh, sure. all the way down the staircase like and kind of somersaulted. So I hit every part of my body, my arms, my head, and I definitely sprained my wrist, but I didn't uh, fracture it. So that was lucky. Yes, because you could
0: you maintain your status.
1: But I, I've, um, I've averted a lot of physical pain by not doing very physically demanding things. Didn't grow up on a farm or anything. Grew up in the burbs. wasn't really a sporty kid. So, yeah. So How I about thought,
0: you? I, I well, hold on. I I figured that you would the story of the glass would come up. I also in my head thought a different story of falling down, uh, not stairs but an escalator was going to be the oh, story yeah. that you shared.
1: You know what? I I think I'll save that one for another time.
0: Yeah, fair enough. All right. So for me, uh, I unlike you have broken many bones in my body um, throughout the not years. Not Jesus. No, <laughs> no, nope, for multitudes of reasons, not the least of which is broken bones. I uh, have ha- broken every finger in my on both hands uh, a couple of a couple times. Snapped an ankle. Uh, Lots of different things there, but those were not painful so much. The most painful thing that I ever experienced was actually back in 2001. uh, And I had LASIK surgery. And I'm sure you remember me telling this story, but uh, you're going to get to hear it again.
1: Yeah, that's generally what you do with these.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we know each other well. So anyway. And you've uh, run out of stories because you talk a lot. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So I had gone in to get my LASIK surgery. And when I walked in there uh, at the time, what they did was they did a quick um, uh, eye test before they did anything, just to make sure your eyes hadn't changed dramatically from the last time they spoke with you. And then they would put a numbing agent in your eye. So an anesthetic in your eyes so that you could lay down and get the laser uh, taking, um, you know, opening up the flap on your eye and taking care of the, uh, the surgical aspect that was needed. Well, Uh after they did the anesthesia, they also do one last check with a with like a pen light to make sure that your eyes are not dilated or if they are dilated, they can kind of deal with that. And so they give you a a volume and then they do this light test. Well, my eyes are super, super sensitive to any kind of light. And I know your eyes are are similar in nature. And so if I get anything that flashes in my eyes, uh, my eyes start to water immediately. Well, they started flashing this light in my eyes, and my eyes started to water. Specifically, my right eye waters more than, than my left. It started watering, and I, you know, wiped off what I could. And they said, okay, you ready to go to the surgery? I'm like, certainly. So I went in and laid down on the table. And it's kind of an interesting setup, the way they, they do, did LASIK. I have no idea how they do it now. But you laid on a table. They kind of put, I will call it like a clamp on your eye. So that your eyes stayed open, but they didn't like strap your head. So like you could move your head around or whatever. So I always thought that was a little weird that they didn't like strap your head down, like on a a neck board or something like that, but they didn't. So they went ahead and said, okay, here's what's going to happen. We're going to do the surgery. You're going to have your eye, your left eye first. It'll take about 30 seconds. You'll see something for 10 seconds. You'll see absolutely nothing, just pitch black. For about 15 seconds and at that point in time my head was like what the hell am I doing and then you'll be able to see again after 10 seconds and I'm like okay so I'm kind of you know this is figuring out why they gave you the volume and so they start doing my left eye no problem it's over in 30 seconds and it was kind of freaky when the black total blackness came but you know it was fine then they start doing my right eye Well, at that point in time, I realized that none of the anesthesia, or if there was, it was very little of the anesthesia was left in my right eye. And so when they started doing the laser on my right eye, I felt every single second of a hot laser cutting my eye open, pulling a flat back, and then lasering it shut again. That was the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. And for me, you know, like I said, my eyes are super sensitive regardless. Just anything getting near my eye drives me crazy. So the thought that that was so much pain in my eye, I, I, can't, I can't even explain how painful it was and how horrible that experience was. Even though it only lasted for those 30 seconds, that was, it felt like it was going for an hour.
1: That made me, my sensitive eyes already start watering, just imagining that story. So, it, it, and not out yeah. of sympathy, just out of <laughs> sensitivity.
0: There you go. Well, yeah, because we all both know that you don't have the sympathy or the empathy about it, but I,
1: I've got very little sympathy for you and I have <laughs> zero empathy because I've never had LASIK.
0: There you go. There you go. So that was horrible. That was the worst pain that I have ever experienced.
1: You're lucky um, that you were able to like hold it together long enough to not move though, right?
0: Yes. And I to be honest with you, I think it was out of pure shock. And Pierre just being super scared that if I moved one muscle, which, you know, I potentially could have, uh, that I would not see ever again out of my right eye. So, yes, yeah. that was that was pure
1: high, luck. High stakes situation there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, like I said, I have no idea how they do LASIK now. I'm certain it's much better than what it was in, uh, you know, 21 years ago. But at that time, it was fairly new still. And uh, they didn't have all the stuff dialed in.
1: Yeah, it sounds sounds like they understood the process, but maybe needed to have a little bit more of a, of a bedside manner or pro- yes. a kind of deal for that to Absolutely. make sure that everything was set. But you're about ready to get LASIK again, aren't you? Your eye's got to be getting worse by now.
0: <laughs> They're not too bad, actually. They, my left eye is really, really, really good still. My right eye has faded a bit. Anastasia. The problem is... Yeah, there you go. Could be, but the problem though is that back then, um, you know, this was, it was a little bit of a scam. And I don't mean that the LASIK itself was, but kind of what they got you to buy was a bit of a scam. They're like, hey, you know, you should buy the LASIK, and you can buy corrections for the rest of your life for just an additional eight hundred dollars per eye. And in my head, I'm like, oh, that seems like a great deal, you know. So, I think my total thing was fifteen hundred bucks an eye or something like that. I don't know. It Doesn't really matter so much, but it. But it was something like that. Well, it turns out that that specific up, you know, corrections for the rest of your life were, were with the laser they used. Well, why the hell would I go in now and use a laser that's 21 years old? There's no way in the, way in the hell I would do that. And so that is literally the scam that they had you with. Is It wasn't just the, the latest, greatest technology that they would upgrade your, your vision with. You had to use the one that they used. So and even didn't, I didn't realize that I I didn't ask the question I just made a poor assumption, and then when I was just you know checking into things like a year or so later, so I could understand kind of what that process looked like, that's when I discovered that you basically were like, well, it's only with the laser that you use. So five ten years down the line, that's worthless.
1: Yeah, I don't know. The International Space Station's been around for twenty years, and I think they got lasers on that, and yeah, I they, trust it.
0: Yeah, I just at this point. So do the I'm astronauts.
1: First,
0: yeah, well, at this point, there's I wouldn't go back to that anyways. Uh, but no, that's there, there's for sure they have up, updated technology on this stuff.
1: Yeah, it makes so, sense. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, good weekly question, Dad. I think we can jump into plastics.
0: We can. Let's do it.
1: so plastics. yeah. and talk interested. about Oh yeah, go ahead.
0: I'm saying I'm interested to find out about microplastics.
1: Well, first let's talk about macroplastics, where they came from, where they're All going right. literally.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, and my question for you dad as a enthusiast of knowledge Are you aware of the name of not the person who made plastic, although the hint is it's based off of his name? Do you know what they called like um, the first ever type of plastic in a way that we call facial tissues Kleenex and we call plastic containers Tupperware? Uh, Tupper did not invent plastic. Um, Another man did. Do you know what the first ever plastic was called
0: oh that's a great question i feel like i should know this because i feel like i've heard this name and this information before
1: right i feel like when i say it you'll be like oh my mom or dad referred to this as blank all the time
0: yeah it's it's just it's somewhere in my head and and like you said as soon as you see it i'll go oh yeah i know so I, i don't even have a guess i don't even have a clever goofy guess that i could give you
1: that's okay I'm going to tell you the name of the man who invented it. His name was Leo Hendrick Bakeland. Okay. And he invented Bakelite.
0: Mm, Have you you ever heard of that? Yep. Bakelite. Yep.
1: Bakelite still exists as a form of uh, plastic. And I know that because the company that I work for uses it as an insulating material. Interesting. Uh but I first encountered Bakelite when I was in sixth grade science class because yep. I went to a school that had bought the microscopes for the students in the 1950s and had not replaced them because why replace what ain't broke? And exactly. So were...
0: Just like just like the LASIK eye surgery, right?
1: <clears throat> right. But I would argue when we're reading road signs, sometimes I'm like, hmm, this This guy could use an update.
0: (laughs) I can still read them just not as far away as you can.
1: Yes. Well, I've got glasses, corrective lenses. on. Um, So so we had microscopes that were super, super heavy, but they weren't made of metal. They were made of this very dense and old plastic called Bakelite. And... Mrs. Marty, our science teacher, was very fond of the fact that we had Bakelite microscopes, not because there was anything better about the quality of them, but it was just an interesting fact because Bakelite was such an antique material. Um, Leo Bakeland was a Belgian chemist who was born in the 1860s, and he developed Bakelite in 1907, he also uh, developed the first-ever photographic paper, which he sold to Mr. Koda. Eastman of Eastman, Eastman. Kodak. Of Eastman. Eastman Kodak, George Eastman.
0: Yes.
1: Uh, and he made a lot of money from that, uh, $215,000, and that was in 1899. Wow. So that's wow. millions. It yes. uh, But he still wanted to become you know a a titan of industry uh, without being a businessman he had this uh, fascination with chemistry so he went into the burgeoning field of polymers because plastics are a just descriptor for a wide range of synthetic materials which use polymers as a main ingredient
0: okay so when we think of the term plastic that covers all of those different polymers. It's not just one specific type of item.
1: Exactly. Any synthetic or semi-synthetic polymer material could be considered a plastic. So for example, when you wear a shirt that is a cotton polyester blend, polyester is a synthetic fiber. It doesn't really feel the same as your Ziploc bag or your Tupperware. Thankfully. <clears throat> but it is, in fact, considered a plastic. Um, and polymer chemistry is an interesting thing because there are all kinds of natural polymeric uh, materials, uh, okay. to name a few. There'd be hemp. There'd be shellac. Oh, okay. Wool. Wait,
0: shellac is shellac is natural.
1: Is a natural polymer.
0: I did not know that I I assumed that shellac was something that was you know that someone invented that wow
1: no there are synthetic shellacs but shellac is um natural wow then there is wool and there's silk and there's rubber those are all uh polymers that occur in nature and Polymers are just long chains of molecules, and because they're such long chains and tend to be very dense, the materials that are made from those so- <clears throat> source materials tend to be very durable. Excuse me, while I drink some shinerbach.
0: No problem. So yes, wool. It, like we've covered this before, but wool is one of my favorite materials, and that is very durable. So
1: that's yeah. that's very interesting. And so chemists were studying natural polymers in order to try and replicate them, which they did. And once they did, they invented plastics. Got it. And Bakeland specifically was interested in using synthetic polymers in order to cast molds so that you could make and mass-produce things in factories vis-a-vis uh, microscopes. You make a mold for a microscope, You pour a polymer uh, into a cast, and you create a mold for the microscope. Sure. And it took him some time, but in 1907, he did it by mixing uh, formaldehyde and fennel.
0: Okay, I'm familiar with formaldehyde, just from it being generally used as an embalming fluid. Fennel, fennel, you're talking about- Not
1: like like fennel sausage, no. Phenol, p h e n o l.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Or phenol, I think a lot of times people call it that. But
1: whatever, phenol. doesn't sure doesn't really matter. Sure. Uh, so he had made reactions with phenol or phenol, however you care to say it, and formaldehyde, <laughs> and he mixed it with a little material known as asbestos. Which is a natural, uh, also a natural um, polymer. And
0: wait, 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 wait! Asbestos is is a natural polymer.
1: Correct. It's a naturally wow. occurring fibrous silicate mineral. Is the technical definition of it.
0: I again did not know that. I thought that was something we invented and and used it all over the place, and obviously created cancer for millions and millions of people wow, I didn't realize it was a natural.
1: Right, and let's not forget that nature causes cancer all the time. The sun, which is required for life, also kills you slowly, every single one of us. Yes. Good night. Um, But they needed a fibrous material or a filler. Like They could have used wood, but nobody knew that asbestos was bad at the time, and it was long and fibrous, so it helped resins made uh, from phenol and formaldehyde get um, a little bit more structure to them and when they, sure. they would harden they would be a little bit more rigid and a little bit more dense okay uh, and he copyrighted that and made a shit ton of money from it and with that uh, invention being more cost effective than using natural materials and able to be mass-produced in a factory setting, uh, he ushered in the age of plastics. Interesting. <clears throat> now, most modern plastics are derived from fossil fuel-based chemicals like natural gas or petroleum versus right. formaldehyde um, because we already have a lot of infrastructure and it's easy to make petrochemical polymers.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and... So over time, we found different methods of making different polymers. Some were dense, some were less dense. And the denser you have uh, of a plastic, the harder the material becomes and the more durable it becomes. And over time, we had to classify our plastics uh, based off of their manufacturing process and density. There's seven different classifications of plastics. Wow. I bet you didn't know that, but... I I did not. When you are using a plastic container that contains uh, a consumable, um, like a, a buying a water bottle or um, getting a... Box of Ziploc bags or getting a Tupperware container on all of those plastics, the classification of what type of plastic it is is stamped. So, yes, uh, on when you grab a, a Nestle water and look at the bottom of it, you'll see a little uh, it's not really a stamp, it's um, a pressing into right. the plastic that says it is a type one plastic, which means it's a, uh, P E T plastic. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce what all of these acronyms mean because it doesn't matter. (laughs) Right. Uh, and that's, that's a number one plastic. So those are usually clear in color. Okay. Uh, They're most commonly used for disposable beverage and food containers and bottles. Uh, and you'll also find them, uh, as holding your household cleaning products like pine saw and, windex and stuff sure and uh number one plastic. we're gonna talk about what happens to plastics basically uh that that causes them to break down because people talk about okay. how plastics don't break down for hundreds and hundreds of years um but that's not really true in the, in the macro scale yes a water bottle may take hundreds of years to break down but in the meantime It is shedding tons of microplastics uh, into the air, uh, into water, onto the earth, everywhere, into your body. Uh, And We're going to talk a little bit about how that happens and and what the result of that is. Sounds creepy. It's very creepy. And the more facts I share, the creepier it will get. Mm -hmm. We're also going to talk a little bit about how recycling isn't going to save us and uh, how there's not really anything that we can do to stop it.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, on that uplifting note, let's continue.
1: <clears throat> okay. So type 1 plastic, um, if you if you leave it in your car, water bottle half empty, and it heats up, um, it will uh, begin to shed off microplastics um, while you're in the grocery store. And those uh, can break down further into nanoplastics, um, depending on how long they're sitting there or how warm the water bottle gets. And uh, then you finish off the water bottle, you drink the rest of it, you swallow all of that plastic, um, and that plastic is able to absorb uh, other chemicals along the way that can, can cause carcinogens to enter your body. Uh, particularly um, plastics uh, that are made out of PET uh, are able to easily absorb antimony trioxide, which is a flame retardant chemical uh, that is a carcinogen in humans. And then okay. if you let that water bottle heat up and then you drink the water inside, which is also surrounded by plastic and then... Uh, the microplastics, which are beyond uh, small, you can't even see them. They're smaller than five millimeters uh, at, at maximum. And nanoplastics are basically, they're on the nanoscale, so as thin right. as hair. Uh, then you swallow those, and and if it's a nanoplastic, it's small enough to enter individual cells of your body. Oh, and man. if it is a microplastic... Uh, it can lodge itself along the walls of your esophagus, your digestive tract, and create biofilms that separate you from the um, life forms that happily exist—the uh, bacteria that help keep your gut healthy.
0: Oh man, this this does, it is getting creepier.
1: So, um, it the reason that uh, plastic number one is particularly susceptible to this is because it's uh, low density, it's very porous, so it allows bacteria uh, to accumulate within it, and you should avoid reusing these bottles as any kind of makeshift container for consumables. So So, so,
0: So I thought, and maybe this is a myth, but I thought a few years ago that they had passed some type of a regulation so that anything that was a consumable, like water specifically, that they had to change the composition of that plastic so that in theory, and I don't reuse water bottles. I think it's just not a smart move, but um I, I thought that they had changed the composition of those so that you in theory could continue to reuse those if you wanted to. Uh, but, but I could be wrong about that. It sounds like I am.
1: You are wrong. You're talking about the BPA free thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: BPA was a um, chemical that they were using to make the plastic that itself was okay. a carcinogen. Gotcha. So they took that out because when that would decompose, it would um, it would break into a micro and nanoplastic and then be able to lodge itself within your cells. Right. And there was a high danger of you having yeah. adverse health effects due to that. Um, but even without BPA, the composition of type 1 plastics, they still break down. And while the plastic itself is not toxic to humans, um, because it is porous, it easily absorbs top toxic chemicals and then breaks down and, and goes through your body. And also, having you know foreign substances that your body doesn't know how to digest, lodges themselves in your body, even if they're not carcinogens, is unhealthy. Oh, um, Yeah. Because it's filling your body with useless molecules uh, and, and slowing everything down.
0: Well, I have to assume that your body at some point in time starts to go, okay, you know, just like with a virus, right? It, it, virus is a foreign object, right? And so it's trying to kill off and fight that virus. And that, in my mind, is where if you have these microplastics and nanoplastics that embed themselves in your cells, that is how cancer comes right your, your body's trying to fight off that stuff and then um, becomes like, like I, I mean i'm just in my head that's kind of how it would work but regardless if it doesn't create cancer still it, it can't be a good thing
1: yeah ca- cancer is a, lo- a lot more complex than just having foreign invaders in your cells um that's about cell behavior changing to rapidly multiply uh, itself for no particular reason and while Microplastics could help urge that by introducing carcinogens into your system. What I'm talking about are not carcinogens, and the health effects of them uh, being within your system are not fully known because nobody has bothered to study it. That's
0: it, still sounds horrible. I mean, to me, it doesn't. I mean,
1: well, okay, so, so yes, it, it is a, It's a bad deal, and the, the takeaway from this would be please reduce the amount of plastic that you're using for a number of reasons. Um, but yeah, yeah. there, if, if it wasn't, um, you know, glass doesn't break down into micro and nano glass that you then swallow uh, and lodges itself in your body. So that is like a viable alternative. But if we were using natural polymeric materials like hemp, or wool or silk and we were consuming things that were held within them, you would also end up consuming broken down parts of those natural polymers. The difference is that this is a synthetic polymer, which makes it sound scary. Um, and it, it is, it's bad. It's not good to have a unnatural biofilm forming in your colon, uh, that tricks your body into thinking, um, you know, that, that your gut bacteria aren't acting as they're supposed to or that you're not hungry. Or uh, There have been some studies uh, into whether or not uh, the prevalence of obesity is not only linked to increased cal- caloric consumption from fast food, but also by um, our digestive systems and appetites being messed with by the amount of microplastics we consume inconclusive. again a lot more research is required but the fact that this phenomenon happens is not is not up for debate. There are every time they take studies of of stool samples or uh, inspect people they they find a presence of microplastics and even beyond people um, they have gone around in the environment not to measure just the amount of plastics say that we have in the ocean, which is a ton but microplastics that float along in the air or exist on the land. uh, And everywhere they look, they they seem to find it. Um, I have a good fact here uh, that a study um, that was searching for the presence of microplastics in in the air particles that we breathe every single day uh, went to a very remote part of the Pyrenees Mountains in France and okay. took samples of the air and took it back to their lab to measure for nanoplastics and they found them. And that was far, wow. far away from anybody who was living who had had any plastic consumption because that's how so, prevalent our use of plastic has become.
0: That's amazing to me.
1: Yeah. So it's it's not a good deal. Um and It's also, of course, just an issue how we handle plastics in general, Um, not just those microplastics, but um, humans use something about 380 million tons of disposable plastic materials each year.
0: Wow, that's incredible.
1: And um, I guess it's almost reassuring how small it is compared to how much we use each year. But there is up to 12 million metric tons of plastic waste that enters into the oceans each year. So that's just a fraction. Sorry, not each year. That's how much is floating in there now. Okay. So that's just a fraction. But when you think about 12 million tons of plastic in the ocean um, and thinking about how then that is breaking down and affecting marine ecosystems, which land ecosystems use to consume... Uh, including humans the fish uh, consume the microplastics we consume the fish um bears consume us now a bears full of plastic right so right. it's it's a bad bad situation yeah um and dealing with plastics is is not so easy either um 80% of the plastic in the ocean comes from uh, you know, land-based sources, not just from fisheries and cruise ships, which do just right. openly dump their trash into the water without remorse. Um, b- so th- there's a lot of question about how we can reduce plastic ending up in our waterways versus a landfill or um, maybe a recycling center. But recycling tends to be a little bit of a myth itself uh, invented okay. by plastic making companies to shift the blame of the fallout of micro, nano and macro plastics onto consumers by saying, well, it's your fault for not picking through every single thing you use and putting it in the right container. Um, not every type of plastic can even be recycled and of the ones that can, um, those tend to only have a yield rate of 68 to 70%. So when you recycle a water bottle, 70% 70% of that plastic material can be repurposed into something else. The rest remains a polymer that is either incinerated and becomes carbon in the atmosphere or is thrown into a landfill to become carbon underneath the ground. Of course, it came from carbon underneath the ground and fossil fuels, so you're not adding um, carbon to the ground. But when you incinerate it, you are adding it to the atmosphere. Right. Um but a 70% yield rate isn't very good, and every time a plastic oh. is recycled, um, the, the polymer chains that were used to form it initially um, become shorter because you have to break them up and then, and then rebind them together, and so its quality decreases. And the same piece of plastic can only be recycled between two and three times before its quality decreases so much that it can no longer be used, at which point it has to either be incinerated or buried.
0: So so regardless you said there are seven different types of plastic. When you, when I think about recycling, it, let's say you have a type one, when you recycle it, does it stay a type one or does it move to a type two? Or or you know, what how does that work when, when um, with the recycling?
1: Th- I think that generally when you recycle materials, uh, they stay within some of the lower grades. So we can walk through the rest of them uh type 1 is the most common and it can of course be recycled that's the the most common plastic that is uh, accepted by curbside recycling programs uh and then there's uh number 2 plastic which is high density polyethylene which is what makes up your little tougher more jagged containers like milk jugs or detergent or juice sure. bottles butter tubs toiletries Um, that's considered safe. It's got a low risk of leaching materials as compared to plastic type number one. So you're less likely to get a carcinogen, but there's also fewer, there's fewer consumables that end up in a type two instead of a type one because it's higher density. It costs more to produce. Sure. Um, so the corporations don't want to help you out there and it is picked up by most recycling programs. Type 3 plastic is actually PVC, which everybody knows from oh, PVC yeah. pipes. But it's also yep. used to make um, food wraps. So like uh, saran wrap is type 3 plastic. Oh, That's wow. I didn't poly- know that. Polyvinyl chloride. <clears throat> Bottles uh, that that contain cooking oil. Uh, things that need to be able to compress air without letting it leak and decreasing the PSI.
0: So less um, course, obviously
1: yes very less porous shower curtains inflatable mattresses things that are designed to be durable and of course the plumbing pipes um and even though it is strong pvc is not actually considered safe for uh cooking or heating so oh okay. uh, it it has softening chemicals within it that interfere with um hormone development and it so sound good yeah so if your food wrap sits in the sun all day chances are and it's on top of that um you know potato salad you might not want to eat the potato salad because it's got bacteria in it because it's been (laughs) sitting in the sun all day but you definitely don't want to eat it because there's been microplastics shedding into it from the saran wrap um and all right so that
0: that leads me to a question that maybe you can't answer but it's Tied to this level or this type of plastic. So one of the things that I don't like to do, even though in theory it's supposed, supposed to be okay, is I do not like reheating things in the microwave that's in, that are in plastic. For, and maybe it's an irrational fear, but for what you're talking about is that things you know, from the plastic leaching into my food. Um, is that a reasonable fear or, or is that irrational?
1: Well, let's work our way there. Okay, I didn't know
0: if you were, I didn't know if you were there with these types of plastics or not.
1: PVC does not is not microwave safe food containers, um, and it also can't be recycled because there aren't really any recycling programs that are meant to burn down and reuse this density of material. Um, we talked about high density polyethylene that was type number two, and it could be recycled. There's also yep. low density polyethylene. And that's used to make those plastic grocery bags. Oh um, sure, some different types of saran wraps, uh, squeezable bottles like ketchup and bread bags, uh, and also it is um, it is considered to be pretty safe for consumables, uh, even though um, it's low density. It is pretty durable, and. Uh, the only bad thing about LDPE is that it's difficult to recycle. Many people have heard that by now. You can't really recycle those plastic grocery bags. Right. Um, it's difficult to break apart. And once you break it apart, it's difficult to reform. Right. Uh, and then type five is the type of plastic that you were talking about, Pop. And that is, uh, polypropylene, PP, uh, and they make, you know, yogurt cups, medicine bottles, uh, kitchenware, and microwave-safe plastic containers with uh, type number five. Uh, they consider it microwave-safe because the plastic itself is heat-resistant and it won't get warped. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's healthy for you to consume food that was microwaved in it.
0: Yeah, that's my. I mean. In it, like I said, that could be irrational, but that's always my fear. I'm like, I don't like to heat stuff up in plastic. Just, just I, I want. Well, if you drink, or, or
1: if you are drinking from plastic water bottles, you are consuming far more um, microplastics than you would by heating up something in a number five or even s- storing it in there. Because storing the food in there and leaving it in there for a while, it will naturally come in contact with um, microplastics because, um, well, microplastics, they, they come in two forms. There's primary microplastics, which are small pieces of plastics that are intentionally manufactured for like facial cleansers and stuff. A lot of exfoliants have small plastic beads in them that rip women's skin open so that they can be prettier. Or <laughs> um, for air blasting, sand blasting. For removing the paint from a piece of metal, they'll create microplastics instead of using sand sure. uh, because it is a little bit more durable than the sand is if you make it a specific way. And so it can rip off the paint a little bit more effectively. But then the ones you want to watch out for are our secondary microplastics, which is is everything that I'm talking about here uh, right. over time, all kinds of things. Uh, will cause plastics to uh, degrade, including, like I mentioned, a bottle sitting in the car, which is photo oxidation. Sure. Uh, th- and those reduce not only the structural integrity of the plastic water bottle or of the microwave-safe container, but it also breaks off little plastic debris to a size that's undetectable to your eye. And and that is, that's going to happen if you use plastic at all. It doesn't really matter if it's in the microwave.
0: So like, what is the timeline of this? So you, you're saying I have a water bottle. Let's go back to the type one. I have a water bottle. It's sitting in my car. Um, and it's, you know, I'm in Arizona, so it it gets hot, it gets cold, it gets hot, it gets cold. You're like, ah, how long does it take before? Not only that this, that it starts to break down a little bit, but that where it's like you probably shouldn't drink that. I mean, is that two days? Is that one day? Is it a month? What's what do we have any idea what the timeline is?
1: Sure, there was a study that uh, t- that the researchers went to the store and they bought eleven bottled water brands, eleven different brands, and okay. they brought them all back to the lab immediately, unscrewed the cap, took a sample of water and measured to see if there were microplastics in the water already before any exposure had happened.
0: Okay, so I'm so do you know? Do you have that list? I'd be curious to understand what that list is. Because you know this about me is that I am I I will tell you that I can taste a difference in bottled water. And there's certain bottled waters that I cannot stand. I hate them. So I will be curious to see if you have the list of the 11 and if any of the ones that I cannot stand are on that list.
1: Okay. Um, there was Aqua brand from I'm Indonesia.
0: I'm not familiar with that.
1: There was Aquafina, which you know. Which I hate. There was Bisleri from Chennai, India. Again, not heard of that. <clears throat> there was Dasani. Oh, that is the worst
0: bottle water ever. Dasani is the worst tasting bottle water ever.
1: They put minerals in that. That's owned by the Coca-Cola company. It is. Uh, there's E-Pura water from Mexico. Okay. Evian water.
0: Oh, yes. I'm familiar with Evian. I, I like Evian.
1: Gerol Steiner.
0: I'm assuming from either Austria or Germany.
1: I don't know where that one's from.
0: Or or Switzerland, maybe.
1: Minalba from Brazil. Nestle Pure Life.
0: Oh, yes. I hate Nestle as well.
1: And they bought uh some Nestle that was in Beirut, and they bought one that was in uh, Thailand, just to test that. Okay. Uh, San Pellegrino. Oh, yeah. But I like, in the I plastic, not in the can. Uh, I was
0: going to say, I thought that came in the can.
1: You can get them in both. And wow. Wahaha from China.
0: Again, not heard of that before.
1: Amongst all of these, uh, the average concentration of microplastic particles per liter of bottled water. So there's obviously not one liter in the, in the 16-ouncer that we're used to. But per right. liter, there were 325 uh, discovered particles of microplastics. That okay, is that just, a lot?
0: I don't, I don't know.
1: Um, it doesn't ri- rise above testable level, but it's more than zero. Uh, however, Nestle Pure Life uh, had one of the largest average concentrations out of all the brands. One sample that they took uh, contained more than 10,000 microplastic particles per liter.
0: Those bastards. I mean, they name it pure life, and it's just really pure hell.
1: So, the suggestion of the study, and I don't believe it's been repeated. So you have to take this science, you know, for what for what it's worth, which is an untested study. Um. the The conclusion from that would be that the act of bottling water itself is what contributes largely to. Oh microplastics breaking down um they have to seal the top Uh, i don't know how that process works but the idea was if it's already got microplastic before it's been heated or been exposed to direct sunlight then uh, either the plastic is very weak or there's something in the manufacturing process either way if you're drinking bottled water you are going to consume microplastics the bad news is you can find microplastics in tap water, too, because we have so much plastic in our lives that we're flushing down drains and throwing that falls into storm sewers and gets recollected. Microplastics are very small. They're much, much too small for a water filter to catch. Sure. Um And so you will you, you can't avoid it necessarily wholly by um drinking tap water, but tap water has half as many microplastics per liter on average than any bottled water that they tested. Interesting. So if you are concerned about having these in your body, and again, like there's been no direct cause uh, or I'm sorry, direct effect that they've measured of, of having um, microplastics in your body, no conclusive anything that just having a microblastic in your body is evidence that you're going to have a negative health income, but you could look at uh, the rise in various non-communicable diseases uh, like diabetes, for example, which could be a natural outcome of, um, you know, diet mostly. But when you talk about type one, that's a little different. Nope. Yep. Um and you, can, you can't necessarily correlate, but you can see a sharp increase in diagnosis of non-communicable communicable diseases and the rise of plastics. But medical reporting is also much better. So that's where we're kind of in the dark in it. So we know it's there, but we don't really know what it is. And it's difficult to test because it's not really ethical to give a... Um, pregnant mother, a bottle full of plastics and see how the baby comes out, you know?
0: Yeah, no, that that doesn't seem like a, a great idea.
1: Um, but it's going to be in any kind of consumable plastics you can. So if you are nervous about that and you want to reduce the amount of microplastics that you're consuming, uh, I would consider trying to opt for glass alternatives in your cookware. So that that doesn't mean just when you're heating up um, your your food. That means when it's sitting in the fridge, uh, keeping it in a a, a glass uh, reusable food container um, instead of a instead of a, um a plastic one, you would be able to reduce the amount of microplastics. But to what amount? It's difficult to tell. One of the largest uh, contributors of microplastics in the atmosphere is actually the degradation of tires.
0: Oh, so on your vehicle, okay.
1: Exactly. Tires are often made of 24% synthetic rubber and 19% authentic rubber and then a bunch of other materials. And So,
0: so as they break down, that just kind of <clears throat> spews it right into the air.
1: Right. So, part of Los Angeles's smog problem, it's not because they have a bunch of factories, it's because they have a bunch of cars and they're driving every day. And not only are they letting out uh, the carbon in the atmosphere from the gasoline, but they're also flinging particles of microplastics that can meld with various different chemicals and hang in the air um, and create that smog problem. And then, of of course, these micro and nanoplastics um, settle in the ocean along with those macroplastics that we dump. Uh, and there are a lot of efforts to to try and clean up that. The I mean, we have had an episode about ocean gyres, right? We talked about the North Pacific gyre, the, guier, the of, South North, Pacific yep. gyre, the the motion of the ocean. Yeah. Um. All of that movement tends to draw the plastics into uh various areas. Each ocean has a little plastic island at this point. Perhaps the most famous one is the um, the North Pacific Garbage Patch.
0: Yes, we've, we've seen photos of that. Yeah. Or at least if, if you've looked at all on the internet, you've seen photos of that.
1: Right. And so that is about, at this point, uh, estimated to be 1.6 million square kilometers, 620,000 yeah. square miles, which is twice the size of Texas or three times the size of France, if you're European.
0: And if you know, if you listen to our U.S. customary system, you just knew that off the top of your head what that size was, right?
1: Correct, yes. Um, So that's a large garbage patch, and that's all made up of not just plastics, but microplastics. And there are some animals that have adapted to living, which is just disgusting, within that. And they call it the (laughs) plastosphere, if you ever want to read about that. Um, yeah, and I, I... efforts to 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 clean it up are just so uh, they they try so hard and they spend so much money, but it's so abysmal because we're dumping so much plastic out each year and consuming so much plastic that um July of this year, the primary organization that works to remove trash from the ocean, they're they're called the Ocean Cleanup. They got a lot of traction on YouTube this year because Mr. Beast ran a a fundraiser for them. Yep. Uh, They announced in July that they had removed 100 tons of trash from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. (laughs) Which sounds like a lot until... Sounds like a lot until you remember that there's 12 million tons of plastic waste (laughs) in our marine ecosystems as we speak. So really, if we can't functionally recycle 100% of plastic or even... Hardly any of it because I told you what the yield was, but the truth is 14% of plastics that we use end up at a recycling center 86% of them never even make it there.
0: And of the
1: 14% that makes it there, 30% of that gets thrown away. 70% gets reused once.
0: Wow. So that's a very small, small number of what we were looking at.
1: Tiny. You gotta, you gotta, if you care about, not having plastic in the ocean and you care about not having microplastics floating in the French mountainside, you have to push your representatives to eliminate plastics from our lives. Uh, or you have to believe that a grassroots effort can work, which I, I really don't. And I never believe that the solution lies with the individual on stuff like this uh to regulate um, manufacturing and companies i i believe that the government serves a function in protecting the lives of of the human beings it's designed to serve but um if you have no faith and still want to help then uh reducing your own personal plastic consumption is is really the only way cuz recycling just ain't gonna do it
0: no, sounds like it's just a, a lost cause. And not that we shouldn't continue to try, because it does have a very, 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 very small effect, but it I guess in my mind that's better than nothing.
1: Yeah. And I, I didn't mention the the last two forms of plastic, so I figure I'll close out with that. Sure. The the government, the US government calls a number six plastic um polystyrene, which is styrofoam.
0: Yep, I know what that is.
1: That cannot be recycled at all. Um, It is used for packaging uh, whenever you buy something. And it was also very popular for
0: coffee
1: cups and coolers. And overwhelming evidence has suggested that this plastic leaches toxic chemicals, especially when exposed to heat. So if you are putting coffee in a styrofoam cup each morning, like I do when I go to work, um, you might be leaching toxic chemicals into that coffee and then drinking it. So please avoid it and you can't recycle it. And it takes hundreds and hundreds of years to decompose.
0: Yeah.
1: And then number seven is a category called unregulated plastics, which is fun. The yeah. Government that sounds
0: said, scary already.
1: The government said, you don't have to stop making BPA. You just can't call a plastic with BPA in it. Plastic number one, you get to call it plastic number seven. Now, the consumer doesn't know what the numbers stand for anyway.
0: Well, they will after this podcast.
1: So it doesn't really matter. But number seven can contain BPA, which is highly toxic to humans, is a carcinogen, um, but also is is an unregulated plastic category for non-consumables. So CDs and DVDs, for example, are made of number seven plastic. Um, there's very little risk to you as a human being because you're not consuming CDs and TVs, hopefully. Um, Other technological parts, sports equipment, medical, dental devices um, can be using number seven plastics. And that doesn't mean that it does contain BPA. I'm just saying if you're consuming something and it's classified as a number seven, just know that it's completely unregulated.
0: Wow. That makes me want to every time I have yeah. a, a piece of plastic that I potentially might be consuming, flipping that bottom over. Cause like you said, it's stamped on the bottom, it's embossed and says, Hey, I'm a one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven, right? So I should be able to look and see and at least feel a little more warm and fuzzy if it's a one versus a seven.
1: Right. Because in that case, you're only consuming microplastics that could attach themselves to toxic chemicals, not microplastics that are inherently toxic but either way you are consuming microplastics
0: it sounds awesome
1: yep and again like i said not to be like the boogeyman if we were using a natural material like a biodegradable um you know like they've replaced plastic straws with biodegradable straws in a lot of cases those would be made out of natural polymers like hemp you know that they found a way to um make a little bit harder and and so that it will eventually, by nature of it being a simpler material versus polymers, uh, synthetic polymers are much longer chains and much more complex. And that's why they take a lot longer to break down um, on a macro scale. But natural polymers would still have their own microscopic fibers that would enter your body. The idea is that the simpler it is, the easier your body can process what you're intaking. Sure. And that it makes it, sense. The more we introduce complex polymers, the more we consume complex polymers. And I just wanted to talk about that because I was interested in it as a topic. Um, no, it's a good one. I don't avoid plastic in all cases. I'm not holier than thou. Like I said, I don't believe it is the responsibility of the individual. Uh, to personally correct every issue in society um, but it would be good if if our government was doing something about this <clears throat> and it would be good um, if I was a little bit more conscious about my own plastic use which I will be
0: yeah especially if you listen to this episode
1: and for many reasons not least of which that my voice is basically done uh, we, that's going to wrap up our discussion on Microplastics. How about This Week in Media, Dad? And please do most of the talking.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. So, for This Week in Media, I am going to talk about an album that I listened to that was on my 1001 albums You Need to Hear Before You Die. And that is by a group called Fun Lovin'. Criminals. have you heard of them before? Yes or no, Jordan? No. I had not either until I listened to this album. Now I had heard one of the songs, but I didn't know who the folks were. So they had a very uh, popular song. Uh, well, let me start by saying this album was released in 1996. So it was in the mid nineties is at a time when I was listening to music, but a lot, not a lot of new music. Uh, I had just been married for a year or two and we were expecting uh a child in July. So we were very focused on that kind of stuff. I was not focused as much on music. So I, I'm not sure that I would have heard these guys anyways, because their their really popular song was was on the radio and it was called Scooby Snacks. And what made it so popular was not only the the lyrics and such, but it also had some sampling from Quentin Tarantino movies on it. But this this album itself. I really enjoyed the genre of this is hip hop, alternative rock, blues, funk, jazz rap, and mafioso rap. I know that seems very eclectic, and that's exactly what this is. As I was listening to this album, in my head, I was like, man, if I had the talent and I had the creativity, this is the exact kind of music that I would have loved to have been making at this time in my life. It it just really drew me in. As soon as I started listening to this, I fell in love with it. This will definitely, this specific album called Come Find Yourself, which is their debut album, will absolutely be in my rotation. Absolutely love it. it w- I wouldn't be surprised if it shows up on my Spotify wrapped next year. So again, the, the big song off there is called Scooby Snacks, and you may or may not have heard of that. They also have a, Eponymous uh, titled a song called Fun, Love and Criminal and another song that is just kind of a goofy song. And that's kind of one of their calling cards cards as well, is that it's kind of half serious, half not serious, called King of New York, which is all about John Gotti. And it's done in kind of a uh, parody format, but I thoroughly enjoyed this. If you have not heard of this and you have not listened to this album, I would highly encourage you to at least check it out because of the style that it is and how unique they pull together all of those different genres onto this specific album. So check these guys out. They have a number of albums that uh, are out there as part of their catalog. This one is the only one I've listened to thus far, because I just listened to it this week, but I will definitely be checking out other ones and may talk about those later. But uh, Jordan, if you have time and you have the inclination, this is definitely an album I would suggest, highly suggest.
1: Maybe I'll check it out.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. How about yourself, sir? This Week in Media.
1: My buddy Alan came out. I'm sorry. I guess this was when Tony came out. My buddy Tony came out and we went to a record shop in Gloucester on the North Shore. Oh, yeah. And um, I was able to procure my first Beatles records, which is kind of silly because I've been a Beatles fan for years and years and also been a vinyl listener for years and years. But I never wanted to pay more for a record just because it was by a specific band. I always kind yep. of thought the the record shopping thing was kind of egalitarian. The used record market, uh, because generally they they price it based off of the condition of the record, not based off of um, its popularity. And certainly, right. rarity would be a factor. But Beatles records aren't rare because they sold right. so many of them. Right.
0: Yes,
1: and so I always had an issue when I'd go into a record store and a a used record for the Beatles would be $25 when I, you know, I was probably worth eight.
0: Yeah. uh,
1: Because I could buy something that sold much worse, that just had a little bit less name recognition, that had a lot fewer copies sold and would be harder to find for a lot less simply because nobody wanted it. Yep. Um, But a Gloucester. At this this uh, record store that uh, tragically I can't remember the name of, they did um, price everything in a very egalitarian way, and nice. the, I I was able to pick up three or four Beatles records for eight bucks a pop.
0: Wow, that is impressive.
1: And they were all in near mint condition, um, both nice. the the album artwork and the 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 sleeve, I guess, and the uh, the media itself. Vine. Yeah, sure. So I was listening to Revolver a lot this week because that's one of my favorite albums of theirs. And it was fun to have it on LP.
0: I bet you it was. I bet you it was awesome. I I really like Revolver. That was also on the 1001 list. And I remember listening to it a long time ago uh, as part of this list. And of course, before that, because I had heard it many, many times before. But it really struck me as I was going through the list how unique this album was not only just within the music industry when it was released, which it was super unique, but because it was one of the, I guess the cutting edge of the psychedelic style albums, but it was unique obviously within the Beatles genre. I mean, they, they were people, people know of the Beatles. They were super popular. People know their music. They love their songs, but I don't think they get enough credit for how innovative they were and not just innovative You know, here and there, almost every album of theirs had some type of innovation each time they released something. And Revolver set the record, excuse me, the music industry on its ear. People were amazed at how just uh, different Revolver sounded from what the Beatles were, but also different from what everybody else was doing. So I'm assuming that's part of what drew you to this.
1: Yeah, well, I think the Beatles are special and I, I I hesitate to say that the Beatles don't get enough credit because everybody does even if they don't like the Beatles and claim that they're not that important. Like critical acclaim is that they were a foundational band to the history of music and right. and the numbers speak for themselves. But what I think is special about them that's different from The way that their haters view them is like they go, okay, well, there have been other boy bands, you know. There's been, uh, there's, you know, One Direction is a big one when I was growing up, right? And um, whatever. There's, I could list a million boys bands, In Sync, whatever. But even the boy bands that stuck around for a long time, they didn't change. Not only did they not change the industry, they didn't change with the times. They didn't change at all. They were just producing exactly. the same music over and over again. And I think right. it's fun because I like the Beatles and I like A Hard Day's Night, which is all just boy band love songs. And then I like, yep. you know, Revolver, which has like George Harrison playing with the Bali Laka yeah. and like humming. It's just, yeah. it's so, it's so special um, to see their diverse interests get played out um, over time, like you said. Um, and whether or not they get enough credit for that, I don't know, but it is it's a it's a special thing to get to be an in-depth fan and know their discography because depending on the day and your mood, you can listen to the same band but be listening to a completely different type of
0: of sound. Absolutely. So
1: yeah, check out Revolver if you haven't listened to it uh, front to back before. I'm sure a lot of people have heard songs one off, but it's it's a good album. Not every album I think is fun to listen to front to back, but this one was.
0: Absolutely. I agree.
1: All right. Well, we learned a lot this week, so maybe you can save your fun fact for next time, Dad, and just tell me about This Week in Brian.
0: Yeah, I will definitely do that. So This Week in Brian. So this week... Um, I would say I am continuing my running streak, which I haven't talked about for a long time, but this week I hit 180 days. So that means six months straight of running every single day. So I'm pretty proud of that fact because I originally started doing it just with the plan of doing it for 30 days. And here I am six months later having run every single day, regardless of wind, rain, snow, uh, shine, uh, being on a boat, not being on a boat, being sick. Didn't matter. I've run every single day for 180 days in a row. So I'm pretty proud of that.
1: That's awesome. Did the cruise ship that you were on have a track or did you use a treadmill?
0: So it had kind of a track uh, up on um, deck 12. It was kind of one that was painted out. What I did is I went down to deck four, which was the deck that went all the way around the ship. And that is where I ran uh, for a couple of reasons. One deck 12, you had to run eight laps around that to get to a mile and it was just a very busy deck whereas deck four was the one where one side of the ship people could smoke on so people kind of avoided that which was nice um so that, that uh, and that was also only two laps around was one mile so it allowed me to uh be able to do you know my miles a lot quicker and be able to see stuff uh, as I'm running and then also you know enjoy you know a little fresh air on one side a little bit of uh you know, tobacco, uh, air on the other side. But, uh, yeah, the ship ship did have a, a track, but I used the uh, deck for to do the running.
1: Nice. God bless every single one of you who decided to listen to me as my voice devolved into madness, uh, on this episode, if you'll understand when you're younger, uh, I look forward to being well-rested and ready to uh, give you some more melodic, um, information transfer next week thanks for potting with me dad thank you and thanks to Ted heinehevit who gave us our intro and outro song uh, you and I off of his album it's fine check him and out together, you and I you and I, you and I.